0: Welcome one and all to another huge edition of the Dawson D show and this one many of you have been waiting for Our guest today is one of the greatest to ever come out of the Richmond footy club He's a three-time premiership captain, Brownlow medalist, All-Australian, three-time Jack Dyer medalist 300 game player and one of the most revered AFL captains of all time Ladies and gentlemen, it's Trent Kochin Koch's AFL career speaks for itself and it was great to sit down with him fresh after retiring from the game Trent reflected on some of the key elements of his career but we got to learn a lot more about the man behind the famous number 9 Guernsey and hear some untold stories. Koch is about to go deep with you into some of his darkest days that nearly led to a premature end to his footy career. As well as turning some of the toughest moments of his life into becoming a better leader that eventually led to the history that unfolded shortly after. Plus you'll hear about the amazing friendship he has with Dusty Martin, some of the Mad Monday antics over the years, the club who put in the best offer to take him away from the Tigers and his love for tennis. We cover so much in this podcast with a wide range of topics which you'll see the many facets of Trent. If you're new here, thank you so much for joining us today, and when you're done listening to this one, check out some of our other episodes with superstars and legends of the AFL and the broader sporting world. And for those loyal listeners that come back each and every week, we love you all, and we appreciate your ongoing support and means the world to us. All right, let's get into it now with the superstar, the legend, and even better person, Trent Kochin.
1: bit of a pinch-myself moment right now, Dave. Absolutely. We've got uh, an all-time great of the Richmond Footy Club, recently retired, Trent Cochin, Thank you so much for joining us, mate. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, mate, we're so excited. We've got a lot to cover and can't wait to have this conversation with you. But retirement life, talk to us a little bit. I know it's very fresh for you, but what's it been like so far? Obviously, you're still recovering from Best and Ferris and Brownlow and Grand Final weekend, but how's it been so far?
2: Yeah, I had a busy September, just probably uh, a combination of appearances and people wanting a piece of you because it is the last hurrah and <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> and then also things that I'd put off for the majority of the year just because I thought I'd have more time at the end of the year and hasn't necessarily been the case but I've managed to squeeze them all in grand final week was a big week but probably what I've most enjoyed not having a commitment to go into the footy club every day has being you know school drop off every morning or nearly every morning most school pickups, and whilst I've been lucky, and football does provide some flexibility uh, with regards to my, my kids' schedule, that that hasn't been in the way at all. So I've really enjoyed school drop-off, even though some mornings it gets a bit hectic at home yeah. with three that all want to punch on with each other. But um, <laughs> we're doing our best.
1: How has the retirement been for the kids? Because oh, like it was such a great video that that was all over social media, and and the girls getting emotional, and like how has that been now for them? Are they they now understanding it all a bit more? I think they understand it. Uh, We actually took them along to
2: the grand final just gone. And that was the first game that I'd been to with all three of the kids at once and Brooke, a non-Tigers game as well, because the only games I'd gone along to were ones where I was injured and couldn't play. So that was an awesome experience. And I think probably that was the moment where it really set in for, for probably all of us. We did the lap of honour or the motorcade or whatever they call it which was a special moment but it was almost the full stop for me Mm. Uh, and I was a little bit emotional but I also know that you know within my own body and mind it's it's definitely the right time I'm not sure I could pull on the boots for one last uh, attempt on the MCG but yeah the kids took it pretty hard early days they're hugely passionate about footy and sport but equally so that I I suppose the, the blessing that retiring gives you is that you can be even more engaged in their own sport or activities outside of their schooling. And uh, I think that's the way I've tried to sell it to them that I'll be more available for for those kind of events.
0: Mm. Now, looking forward, what's probably the next, like the top two or three things you really look forward to now in this next chapter of your life? Yeah. Well, uh, I've probably, the last two years I've, I've been
2: kind of shit scared about what's next just because I've, all I've known in my adult life is being a professional athlete. And, you know, even though you get time off at the end of a season, you still have a structure and a training structure and, I've been lucky enough to be introduced to a lot of wonderful people that have taught me either life skills or I've learned a lot about business and so forth. So I've got some interests there that I've invested lots of time into, but I have more time to do so now. So I'll start to, you know, punch my way through some of the things that I've been putting off a little bit uh, with regards to different areas of growth and and that is business. And Mm -hmm. as I said, it, it scares the shit out of me because it's not something I necessarily have done a whole heap of, but I feel as though some of the lessons that I've learned across my journey will hold me in good stead, uh, and as I said, I've, I've had some wonderful people that are going to help me in those areas. The two or three things, so that's one, one of the things. <laughs> uh, probably playing tennis, I'm no good at it, but I absolutely love it. I think playing a team sport, it's nice to actually go on a court, still compete, but not rely on anyone else. I don't know. I think that's a weird... Player. I like that. I really like Sing- Singles, that. singles, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind doubles, but... Um, I'd love to play mixed with Brooke. I'm not sure that it would end <laughs> yeah. in happy moments. There'd probably be some tears and a lot of blues, uh, but she's she's way more talented than me and I'd be probably the ticker of the team and she'd be the the, ta- the talent. So set her up in the plays, you can hit the winners and I'll just chip away and, and put, them, uh, put them back in the other side of the court. But um, that's the second thing. And then probably travel. Like uh, having kids young, I was 24 when we had Harper. So... Haven't necessarily had the opportunity to travel a whole heap just because young kids and travel isn't something that you kind of put together. We did the States and Disneyland and so forth with the two girls before Parker came along and I'm looking forward to potentially doing, you know, a big European trip next year. I've never been to Europe, so it's something that Brooke and I have been talking about for a long time but never actually committed to it. So depending on what life looks like, yeah. uh, it's something we'd love to, to explore
1: and take the family away for a period of time. Interesting hearing you say that about tennis. We love our tennis. Um, We have a hit from time to time, but obviously you've got that close connection with Ash Barty. Have you always loved tennis or did it come through her love for Richmond or was it a bit of both? Yeah, look, I grew
2: grew up going to the tennis courts because mum and dad both played. I think it was Saturdays most of the time and dad always played Thursday nights as well. So I was lucky enough to be in and around it. I never actually played as a junior. I, I think I did one year of lessons, so probably why I'm not overly talented or skillful. <laughs> but as I said, I've got some ticker and, and the inner competitor comes out on the tennis court as much as I can't, you know, bash and crash like I would have liked to on the footy field.
1: Baseline player? <laughs> or?
2: Oh, I think I'm Roger Federer, but um, I'm definitely <laughs> w- a long way from <laughs> yeah. anything that resembles a, an elite tennis player, to be fair. But yeah, and then obviously really lucky to, to be introduced to Ash at a really, uh, her, her, I felt like she was peak (laughs) young 20s and I think she was 14 or 15 at the time and then our head of performance actually finished up the Tigers worked with her for a year or two so I did some training in an off-season with her and Basha I remember she won't mind me saying this running wasn't well long distance running wasn't necessarily a strength of Ashes particularly when she was sort of 15 16 but um it was nice to go through some of that stuff with her at such a young age and then I remember sitting down and having a coffee with her in the lead up to an Australian Open where she was playing Serena Williams in the first round, you know, as an wow. 18 or 19-year-old wow. playing against arguably the best female player that's ever played the game uh, is a pretty dawning experience and Maddie Hornsby actually said, oh, mate, oh, I'd love for you to, you know, catch up with Ash and just talk through, you know, from a leadership point of view and I'm like, mate, she's playing against one of the greatest female athletes Ever, and I am not going to be able to help her in any way, <laughs> yeah, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tipping she's going to have some better ideas about how she's going to beat Serena Williams, but probably more so dealing with the expectation of you know being an amazing Australian athlete. And that was before she went on to be so brilliant. And I think the the part of Ash's story that I love most outside of her just you know having a break, coming back obviously finding or hitting her straps and and becoming the world number one, which is just amazing to even think of and win a couple of championships is is such an amazing feat, but I think the way that she's shown and presented herself within any media in her life you know she's now got a little baby boy uh, with her partner gary is probably almost a bigger feat and something that I think all Australians and probably people around the world love her for
0: yeah, absolutely we'll we'll definitely cover leadership at some stage but I'm interested to hear in the last especially this year since you know letting go of the captaincy how did that affect you do you feel a big weight off your shoulders have you enjoyed footy more how has it been
2: yeah I suppose part of part of the decision around uh not being captain for the it was in my head probably my final year that's why I had given it up. One, because the timing was probably right. Two, it gave other guys the opportunity uh, to grow into a role that, you know, wasn't necessarily there for a long period of time for anyone else to take on. And and three, uh, selfishly just to kind of enjoy being just a footballer for Mm -hmm. a period of time. And to be honest with you, I think probably in the initial stages, I was completely fine with stepping down. But then once the new captains in Toby and deal were announced I probably really battled for the first probably six to eight weeks and that was mainly just because I probably didn't realize how much I attached my football existence to being the captain of the footy club more so than just being Trent Cotchen who happens to play football so you know separating the person Mm -hmm. from the persona and so much of my identity had been caught up or or been part of the Richmond captain and Yeah, it was more so on a reflection point probably halfway through that year that I kind of hadn't come to terms with this new role within the organisation and and also then having respect and and allowing them the space to grow and put their own spin on things. I didn't want to be one of those guys that, you know, I was part of the team that built, you know, our values and – what we expect of each other and so forth. I wanted them to have the space to do themselves, but I also wanted them to know that I would always be available if there was ever mm. a need for a conversation. And I, I wanted to, to back them to the Hilton, you know, relay any messaging that they had for our group. And so that was an interesting period yeah. in time. And I think it got obviously got better as, as we progressed and, and those guys had a lot of confidence to two brilliant individuals, but also leaders in their own right.
1: Like leadership is like I'd love to know with your parents were your parents leaders themselves in in the way they lived their life because you took over that role at Richmond in a really difficult period and and you 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 achieved the ultimate success as that leader where did you learn it
2: yeah I think you know people ask can you teach leadership and are you born with it kind of vibe and I, I think for me there's an element that you have to have some characteristics that it, that allow you or encourage you to be a leader. And my dad owned his own business, so that was probably a form of leadership. Uh, he was always someone that people would go to for advice. I don't know how good that advice was sometimes, but um, he would always make himself available. And I think the thing that, for me, whether it's the religion you follow, the values you live by, that to me is leadership. So having a strong set of values, which to be honest with you, I probably didn't establish mine or have great clarity on what they were until I went on a, an own personal journey in 2016 or the end of 2016. But I was always quite a strong character and, and had my views a certain way. And that was probably because of my upbringing. Um, but yeah, in saying that, I think you learn from the environments you you, you put into. And uh, I was, I've been lucky that I've been part of a, a loving family from a very young age, or obviously when I was born and i've been encouraged to always do whatever i I felt was right for me and yeah just to be myself but i think the learnings that i had as i progressed through my life and how much you know i craved my dad's love in particular and i probably always knew that my mum loved me so that sort of drove the behaviors within me that were probably unhealthy to some extent
0: what were some of those behaviors would you say
2: yeah look i I reference it as the perfection myth like uh, being named captain at 22 i looked at all the great leaders of football but also you know around the world and i was trying to be the best version of every one of those people so the luke hodges you know the matthew Pavliche's the bob murphys all incredible leaders in their own right but what i learned was that they were brilliant leaders because they knew who they were and the way that they sh- showed up was true to who <laughs> who they wanted to be and that was kind of my lesson was i didn't need to be the perfect version of everything else that was out there and and that that wasn't just being captain that was being the perfect husband perfect dad perfect brother perfect son mm. and what i what i realized was that it's good to strive for perfection or at least excellence but it actually doesn't exist so once i took the pressure off myself uh, it made and allowed me to become who i wanted to be and and that was probably the, the blessing was just that i needed to be the best version of trent cotchin to be the best leader that i could be
0: this episode of the Doss and D Show is brought to you by Fleet Plant Hire Solutions. Do you have an earth moving project coming up, D? Look no further than Fleet Plant Hire Solutions. With over 2,000 qualified
1: contractors and an experienced team, they're the one-stop solution for all your earth moving needs. Whether you need excavation, truck hire or plant hire, they have you covered. And with their focus on customer service, they'll be there every step of the way to deliver on your project need. Oh yes, please, Doss. Their
0: innovative material tracking technology and resources allow them to handle any project big or small.
1: And their expertise Ensure that the job is done right every single time. Fleetplan Hire Solutions, the one-stop solution for all your earth moving needs. Visit them at fph.com.au. Now, let's get into the episode. You mentioned striving to, I guess, receive your dad's love. You mentioned that. It was was that because your dad worked so hard in his own business, or was it around that?
2: Yeah. My dad never put a whole heap of pressure on me, but I think it was just, you know, the way he lived his life. You know, he had a pretty hard old man and they both did work hard. I saw that firsthand. But, yeah, I think it was just in my head I was never going to be good enough unless I was successful, whether that be in football or in life. Uh, And there's probably elements of that where now transitioning into the next phase and whilst uh, you could view my career as being a success because of the premierships and so forth – there's still an element of me that's sitting there going, well, I need to prove myself in other ways. I don't want to just be known as uh, Trent and the footballer. I want to be known as Trent and whatever the hell the it person. ends up being. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the person, person, exactly right. Yeah. And, yeah, but I, I think some of those behaviours were instilled by the way he lived his life. And, you know, I remember there was a moment where he cut his uh, his finger off for the first time. He did it three years consecutive in the same week corresponding years. Whoa. So. A little bit of a curse and mum made him stay home the fourth year just to make sure he didn't do it again. But um, the first time he did it, I I remember him, it was the first time I'd seen him cry and it, it was from a place of feeling like he'd let the family down. So there was no doubt there was an element of him putting a whole host of pressure on the way that he lived his life from the moment that he had kids and that's probably where some of those attitudinal behaviors started from
0: yeah I'm interested you mentioned end of 2016 I'm, I'm like imagining Doss and I are 18 year olds and we get drafted into Richmond and we come into the footy club at the start of 2016 versus we come into the footy club at the start of 2018 and <laughs> we we meet you as a captain what, what are the main differences that people would notice when you talk about this change
2: yeah I think early days I think if you had to come into the footy club you would have gone Oh, gee, there's there's a lot of pressure and there's a certain expectation of what I need to look like, act like and be like. Whereas if you had to come into 2016, it was an environment where, you know, we had strong fences, that's how we like to refer to it, but big paddocks and coming in, we wanted you to embrace who you were, not be someone that you'd seen or the way that they were acting was the certain way of behaving, you know, and, and an example of that is probably Jack Higgins. He, um, Mm. I think if he had been drafted the same time that I was drafted, there's no way that he would have lasted more than two years just because with all due respect, he's a weirdo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) he didn't, uh, he wasn't the, the, the typical footballer that I'd come across, you know, it was his life and that was everything that he wanted to do. And, you know, not knowing him, all that well because of him going across to the Saints. Um, but from all reports, he's, you know, he's continued to grow and and so forth. But even in the initial phase, like some of his halftime speeches and so <laughs> forth were things that I, I still don't know one word that he said in those halftime <laughs> speeches, but it was him, it was a moment where it was his moment, he was embraced for who he was and that was definitely different to to the environment that I walked into. I remember walking down to have a coffee in my first year or two and a group of senior players would be sitting there and you'd be going there to join them to have a coffee as well. But on my approach to it, I would feel like, and pr- they probably weren't even doing it, but you would feel like they were talking about you. And it was, it was such a crap feeling. And I hated the fact that every time you're walking into that environment, it was like, oh, what are they actually saying about me? Do they rate me? And you're f- forever kind of assessing yourself and making sure that you know, the way you acted had to fit what they or what you thought or perceived they wanted you to act like. And mm. that's a shit place to be.
1: Yeah. Was, was there? You mentioned earlier about you wanting to become what a lot of those other leaders were, like you mentioned those names. What goes on in Australia, we talk about it all the time, which is that tall poppy syndrome and, and we struggle to actually be present because we're wanting to be somewhere else where someone else is. Did you find yourself in those kind of instances based on not necessarily s- success on field, just more or less your own trajectory on life and, and your own being right then and there.
2: Yeah. Can you break that down a little bit more So, for
1: So more or less looking at everyone else. So basically, or maybe it is probably more on field basis. Yeah. And, and other leaders. But you're you're in a club that's probably obviously struggling and you're trying to lead it in your own style and your own way of leading. How do you go about not comparing yourself to others and other leaders in particular? Yeah, I think... In the early stages, I probably, when
2: it comes to performance, I thought that I had to do it all. Like the reality is, if in my head, if I was getting thirty possessions and impacting the game, that was me doing my job, leading by example, not necessarily the biggest voice in the footy club. But I definitely had that wrong, and and part of the shift was moving from I to we, and and that's part of the hero's journey. When you're establishing your purpose and so forth and i remember sitting down with jack rewalt at a cafe at the end of 2016 and, and talking about well the reality is you know we only have maybe four or five years left of our careers uh, and it's likely we've just finished 13th we've got beaten by 100 or more than 100 up at the scg in our last round the reality is we're probably not going to taste success and and as much as it's nice to dream it's probably not going to happen, but how can we now shift our focus from getting the absolute best out of ourselves to getting the absolute best out of others or at least encouraging and creating an, or helping support create an environment to make sure that the Dan Uriolis and so forth of the world would be successful and taste that success that we probably wouldn't and that was going to be our legacy. And that was, that was an amazing conversation to think what happens and transpires from that moment on. Was never part of our thinking in that conversation, but it's funny when you do shift from focusing on yourself to then getting the best out of others. It's amazing what happens.
0: We were lucky enough a few weeks ago to have Hugh Van Cullenberg on the podcast, and I know he did a lot of work at Richmond. But and something that got implemented among many footy clubs, including mine, was the Triple H, um, which you know obviously I don't know where it started, but Richmond made it famous, especially for, for footy clubs. So I'm interested to hear for those. I know it gets talked about a lot, but for those listeners who may not follow footy, can you talk to us about what Triple H is, apart from a world wrestler, wrestler, wrestler yeah. <laughs> WWE champion, and uh, <laughs> explain, yeah, the impact it actually had amongst the group?
2: Yeah, and I think that that's the part, I'll explain the actual model behind it, but I love that our story has now become a part of a lot of football clubs and communities and businesses and organizations' journeys, and you know, breaking down the barriers of such an alpha male mm. uh, environment to then leading with vulnerability and opening yourself up and effectively just being there to be heard and seen. And so effectively, Triple H stands for uh, your hero, your highlight and your hardship. And Dimmer introduced it. He he went first in the very beginning. I think it was on preseason <laughs> camp of 2016, 2017. Yeah, and effectively, you, you share your highlight of your life to date your hero and why, and then um, a hardship if you have one. And the beauty of was, you know, some people had had best mates commit suicide, which is obviously horrifying and has such an impact on your life. And then there was other guys that got up there and said, "Look, I've been really fortunate. Wow. I haven't necessarily had a whole heap of hardship going into my life now." And but by sharing all those stories, it, it kind of You know, there might have been someone who you weren't aware was suffering from stuff that happened 10 years or five years prior to them being at the footy club, but instantly there was someone else who'd been on a similar journey or was battling with the same kind of things and you could then share a connection and have conversations. And that was the beauty of people putting themselves out there and and sharing their story because it encouraged further conversation beyond that. So lunch straight after that, there was more questions and probing questions and, some guys went deeper, other guys kind of just said, no, no, I've done my job and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and put it all on the table. I, I don't really want to go there anymore. But the thing that it did for our connection was just unbelievable and having a deeper understanding. Like Brandon Alice shared that he grew up in commission flats and I, I knew this story but I was probably one of two out of 44 that actually mm. knew the story and the power that that had on, on people but to share it in the way that he experienced it was was really special uh he touched on the fact that you know he was so embarrassed about the fact that he grew up in the commission flats that walking home from school he'd walk the long way so that his mates wouldn't see that he was heading back there and like to hear that you go mate this is a kid that comes across as super confident you know I, I know that his purpose is to make sure that his parents never end up back in a situation like that so but then you start to understand why he plays footy and what his motivations are and how you might be able to help him, Mm. whether that's from a leadership point of view or a friendship point of view. So um, it was a beautiful exercise and, you know, we got through. It wasn't just players, it was staff and what that did for our organisation was uh, really special.
1: Might be really cliché, but would you be open to sharing your three right now?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, I actually went first and it wasn't the Triple H because Dima hadn't uh, introduced it, but I have done my my Triple H since. But um, so my hero... There's probably two. I'm going to share two. Uh, my hero would be my old man, probably because of a lot of the stuff we've already spoken about, but he effectively ha- has been my best mate from, from a very young age. i still speak to him before every game. i have to find a new reason to speak Maybe to him every before week. a no, tennis game. No, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, still beats me, the old man. <laughs> <laughs> 63 this year. Oh, he turned 63 this year. Is he green year nick he's, Yeah. Yeah, he's... Yeah. He doesn't give up on it either. I'm worried that he's going to rip his hamstring off the bone (laughs) when I hit a winner down the the line, but he gets there. Um, But yeah, just for a lot of the reasons I spoke to um, being a strong personality. And I think what I've learned as I've grown up is that he's definitely far from perfect. And there's so many elements of who he is that I hope don't come out in the way that I live my life. But there's also so many strengths that he has that I hope exist within my being and, the second hero would be my wife. You know, the sacrifice that goes into not just being a supporting act and she's been more than that, she's almost been my rock and, and some of the, the ideas from a leadership point of view and getting the group together in different situations have come from her and she has such a great mind and heart in those circumstances but also the sacrifice to have three beautiful kids that, you know, they literally light up our day. They challenge us more than anything in the whole wide world but the sacrifice that females go through to put their bodies and their lives to some extent um, through to, to give birth to children is something that still blows my mind. You know, that experience of being in the birthing suite and even still like every one of our kids uh, was induced because of football. Like, so there has been a huge amount of sacrifice, <laughs> sacrifice. from Brooke's point of view. Yeah. She's never naturally gone into labor. It's all been planned around footy. So it's probably my <laughs> one regret, but, but also we've had healthy kids and, and been very lucky. So she she's also my hero highlight god I've I've been very fortunate I've had plenty of highlights but probably probably the birth of all three children you know your first is a special and incredible moment young Harper in 2014 Kenzie was like a shining light in 2016 in probably my darkest year from a personal point of view and I think the the way that I sum that up is that whilst I was there I probably wasn't entirely present which pains me to say in the first little phase of her life. And I would like to think the way that I've lived my life since then, I've definitely made up for that. But um that would definitely be the highlight of twenty sixteen. And then obviously having a little boy uh in twenty nineteen was was also very special and they are definitely my highlights in my life to date. And then my hardship probably twofold. Twenty sixteen from an overall perspective and it's probably been well documented and spoken about, but it's the darkest place that I probably had been from a personal point of view, and didn't share that because my natural way of leading, particularly back then, was to be that loner-type leader. I didn't want to burden anyone with the struggles that I was going through. Uh, I was effectively the whipping boy in the media. I was the worst captain that existed in the AFL, which was far from trying to be the perfect captain. And, you know, I I got to the end of that year and I I kind of – I asked the question whether I was the right person to be captain. And I also started to contemplate whether football was the right thing for me. That's how Darker Cloud was hanging over my head. But in the most bizarre and weird way, I'm most grateful for that moment as well. And one of my favourite sayings is that often from your darkest times come your greatest growth or greatest lessons. And had I not have had that year and those moments, I don't think I would have gone on the path and the journey that I did from a learning point of view. And I'm still on that journey and still learning a lot every single day. And that's why I love these kind of chats because they they continue to make you reflect, but also you learn something from the conversations that you have. So grateful for that hardship. And then 2020 Hub life was probably the lowest I'd seen my wife Brooke uh, on the back of her making a mistake and getting a facial during the COVID year when we we're in the bubble now. Queensland weren't living by any restrictions. Obviously, the Victorians were – the AFL had a separate set of rules. We had it ticked off by the integrity officer at the time and then we were notified that it actually was outside of what was expected, which was all well and good, but then the blow-up after that because there was a lot of Victorians that were locked in and our mate Dan Andrews wasn't (laughs) letting people work walk out to their letterbox, let alone go for a run or anything like that. So I could understand the pain that the people that were – kind of passing that on but the, the the torment and bullying that was happening online is something that I think is terrible in society today and that's what social media does give people access to is a voice with no face and to effectively have connection to, to anyone they really want in the world and that's the scary part but it's also an amazing part of what technology is doing for the world as well so Yeah, that was the lowest I'd seen my wife and no doubt one of the the most challenging times for our family being in a hub and in front of, you know, 40-odd of my teammates and and staff and that all playing out right in front of our eyes was um, challenging. But again, it helped us grow together and understand even at a deeper level what makes us tick.
0: Really appreciate you sharing that firstly. (laughs) But how old were you or roughly what year did you meet Brooke?
2: Uh, well, we went to school together, but okay. weren't entirely close. She was the year above me and then bumped into her at a cafe. Cafe? Yeah, uh, <laughs> around the corner from my place. She went to the, the gym just next door. Uh, that would have been...
0: So you were keeping an eye on things for, for I, years. I, I, <laughs> she
2: doesn't believe me when I say this. I always had a, a little bit of a thing for her. And I remember there was a moment at school. I was on a set of stairs halfway down them. One of my mates in my year was chatting to Brooke. And I remember looking at her and I think she looked like past me. nearly at me and I got really excited about that but we were both in relationships and then um, a couple of years later bumped into each other at a cafe and really built a a great friendship before anything uh, serious started to happen and along with one of my other best mates so it was like we're a group of three that were just enjoying life together and um, yeah obviously proposed to a 20- Twelve got married in 2013 and had Harper in 2014. So
0: I was going to ask then. So obviously now you're married, but you mentioned that pivotal point, 2016, we'll call it, where there's this change for yourself. How did that affect then your marriage and your family life?
2: Yeah, I I don't. I'm not sure whether I would have made it through that period of time if I didn't have Brooke in my life and the kids, of course. But uh, the strength and support that she showed, particularly in 2016, but all through my career, has been unwavering and there was even moments where she supported me on social media and, and again, there was a, a time where I think Jonathan Brown might have said that she should keep her mouth shut because it's not her role to play and I don't think I've done an interview with Brownie ever since that moment, So, um, <laughs> but but it just showed how much she cared and, and yeah. what she was seeing was very different to what anyone else was seeing because it was probably the only time that I was open or carrying myself in a different way that uh, I thought that people wanted to see. And, yeah, so having her in my life probably saved my life to be completely honest.
1: Going to 2017, so I, I just think often all my family in Richmond and, I, I, you know, and I will openly admit this, Koch, and no one's, no one knows this, none of our audience know this, I'm a bulldog through and through, but I was Richmond for one year. Okay. So, Paul Hudson, who my old man was managing, he was a doggy. And that's why I went for him. And then he went to the Tigers for one year. Believe it or not, he actually wore Jack Dyer's number 17. And then, he, and then he retired after that. But that year, I was Richmond. So, I had a Richmond jumper on, went to footy day Richmond. And I don't don't claim him now. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. But all my family were Richmond. But I remember watching that prelim final and, and when you boys all ran out and it was the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever witnessed. And I know it gets talked about a lot, but you as a player leading from the front, and I lo- always love watching you when you would wait and you'd high-five everyone as they ran past you. But could you hear that in the rooms? Oh, the,
2: the noise in that prelim final was like nothing I've heard before. And I know that we won the premiership the week following, but I think, I think we kicked a goal within sort of 30, 40 seconds of the game starting. I kicked it in. Dusty, or contest, dusty handballs to Lambo Lambo runs into pretty much the goal line and kicks a goal. And the noise after that goal was like it still sends shivers down my spine now. I remember Dimmer speaking about the coach's box window just like rattling because there was so much of vibration from however many decibels. I'm not into my sound decibels, <laughs> but um, it was phenomenal. And and something that I'll never forget, 99,000 Richmond supporters to the sixty eight gws supporters in that <laughs> in that moment but um yeah it was a very special day
0: yeah it's incredible that whole campaign talk is, talk to us about the week following and and even the scenes at like swan street for example you know the night the tigers win the grand final just i remember just saying to my mates like boys we've just got to find a way to get down there like we've got to be amongst this somehow but talk to us about just the enormity of those yeah four weeks and the finals.
2: Yeah well I'd never beaten Geelong so qualifying final my whole career hadn't beaten the team I'd grown up supporting Uh, so there was there was quite and we'd lost three elimination finals leading into the 2016 and then 2017 season so there wasn't a whole heap of evidence that proved we were a good finals team but the journey we'd been on from a, a mental application point of view the confidence we had in the way that we're playing executing on role it was like nothing I'd felt before and I remember having a conversation with Dimmer and Ben Crow in the lead up to that Geelong game going like it actually like the result actually doesn't matter this weekend. Like we should be celebrating what we've done this year, Mm. whether we win, lose draw or otherwise, this has been special. And and I think that was kind of our thinking the whole way through that final series was like, it actually doesn't matter when this year ends. It's been so enjoyable. We've had so much fun and we've learned so much about ourselves, but also about each other. And, that was what we were celebrating the the premiership. As much as it's nice to talk about and be recognised as a premiership player, and I know that I've been lucky enough to go on and and do a little bit more. But when you catch up with all those guys that were part of that team uh, and the organisation at that time, we don't talk about the premiership. We talk about all the little moments, the stories. You know, I remember grand final week. We, uh, Shane McCurry, our leadership coordinator or coach or guru, whatever you'd like to call him, uh, organised to have these. Um, African or Islander drummers come in and, and we did it as a group activity and, and the whole ethos was that if you're playing from the sun beat, same beat, it makes an amazing sound kind of thing. And But I remember Basha Hooli just going off on a tangent and, <laughs> and playing his own little solo and it was unbelievable. <laughs> but they're all the little things that we talk about now. Was this and
0: qualifying final week? Or was this was this grand, grand, final grand, week. Final yeah, week. grand final week. Yeah, grand
2: final week. A little bit different but uh, and then grand final parade like – Beautiful day, having the kids in the car, sitting there with Dustin after he wins the Brownlow. Yeah. He signed on in quali- or leading up to the qualifying final as well. So it had been a big month in, in the Richmond uh, camp. And, yeah, th- they're all the moments that, you know, after managing to win it, that was w- why you wanted to get back there again. It wasn't so much the feeling of ecstasy after winning a grand final. It was, it was all the little things leading up to it and, and being part of the final week, even, you know, being there this year and not playing, like it's hard not to get caught up in the atmosphere and the energy of what Melbourne brings in grand final week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I often look at like Collingwood, for example, the other week and you watch them all and they go down into the rooms, they come back out later and they're on the ground and you see footage of them out later that night doing their thing with their jumpers on and then the next day it just comes and it's almost, not that it's gone, but the next season starts in 160 odd days. You're lucky that you got to do it three times. I often think about not just players that don't get to do it, but have you had conversations with players that haven't got to win a premiership and they've told you, "Geez, mate, like, what's it like?
2: Yeah, well, walking out of the grand final, I was with Robbie Tarrant, who I was lucky enough, obviously, to spend uh, a couple of years with at the back end of our careers. And he's a wonderful person, obviously been an amazing competitor and chose to come to Richmond for that opportunity to potentially play in a grand final. And whilst it didn't happen, we played in a final and he, he asked me the question as we were walking out, he goes, you know, does that bring back, like, so many happy memories. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah, it does. But it also, you know, ignites this envy and want for more within me. He goes, mate, you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, "All as soon as the siren went, I just felt genuine hatred towards the players that just managed to do something that I never got to do. Yeah. And... I do. There is a there is a really soft spot for the likes of, you know, not just our Richmond greats like the, the Matty Richardsons who's given so much to our footy club. But I remember texting Nathan Foley a day or two after uh, or seeing some of the boys that were part of the journey but weren't necessarily playing on that day in the stands. And Chris Newman's another great example and mm. it's so good to see him coming back to the Richmond footy club because he gave so much of it without reaping the rewards of success so hopefully hopefully as a coach you'll get to do what he didn't get to do as a player but um yeah there is a part of me that feels not sadness but just yeah there's something special about doing it and doing it with a group of people that you love and care about and they were definitely part of that journey and I wanted to make sure as part of us being successful, that they were reminded that they were a huge part of it.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, because I was talking to some of the boys this weekend gone, and we are talking about John Noble, for example, and I asked a question a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'm like, when he's watching the game, does he want them to win? Now, it sounds ridiculous, because it's obviously his club and everything, but he's been dropped on the of finals, played however many games in a row leading up to it, and now he's missed out that moment where obviously he doesn't even get a medal. But for players on the outside that were part of the crucial part of the team throughout the year they missed out through injury or not getting selected or anything like that how do you get around them those weeks during the celebrations are they as part of it as everybody else or can you see that there's a little bit of a barrier
2: i think you probably have to speak to the players that were part of, of that course, but yeah. the way we tried to do it at tigerland was that we would bring them on the journey and you know whether it was our team award that we would vote on every week like whether you were playing or not playing you were still able to get votes because of the way you contributed whether that was through training an event you'd organized a gift you'd given to someone just out of kindness they're all ways in which we continue to keep people involved and we were very lucky in 2017 that our VFL team was still progressing and going really well and interestingly enough that was I'm pretty sure that was the year Craig McRae either won it or they finished runner-up so um (laughs) Obviously, writing was on the wall. He was always going to be a premiership coach at some stage. But, yeah, I don't think you can just make it happen from the moment you get into the finals. And it has to be something that's just part of your culture and your Mm organisation. And something we did was that every player that wasn't playing still wore their Guernseys uh, under their their tops or their suits so that they were they were part of it or felt yeah. part of it. And and we wanted to know, make sure that they knew that it was it was a village that wins premierships. It's not just the team that's on the field on the day.
1: Going a little bit away from footy more to business. So you and Brooke, obviously you've been building something pretty nicely with Posi Socks. So can you maybe share a bit about where the idea came from? And then I'd love to know what the experience has been like transitioning into business now after footy.
2: Yeah, well, effectively the idea came from the initial idea came from seeing an image on Instagram where there was one sock had more wine on the bottom, another sock had please on the other foot. Someone was laying on their bed and I was like, well, I'm not a big drinker, but I kind (laughs) of like the vibe that they're going with. And I was like, what are some of the habits that have become a big part of my life? And one of those is journaling and, and starting your day with a trigger that allows you to be at your best. Uh, And then I see your top there is gratitude. So dialing up either gratitude or showing your appreciation or just the gift of giving. So I was like, Oh, one of the first things you do is you have a shower, you get dressed and then you put your socks on and you know, I'm not totally disciplined with doing my journaling every day. So the socks are easily something that is similar to doing a journal. Uh, can, about things that i'm grateful for i can think about how i can show my appreciation to someone whether that's buying a coffee or holding a door open for them on the day so little affirmations that just allow you to kickstart your day that was where the idea came from it was easy to build in it was really simple for for everyone whether that be kids adults or the like and then from there we kind of we'll, we would love to contribute back to society so every order we donate a pair to the homeless obviously it's, well it's not obvious but it's the number one requested item in homeless shelters because you can't recycle socks So that's been really nice just to see the way that that impacts society as well. But effectively where we're going is we want to just be a part of or a a really big part of everyone's day from a positivity point of view. I think the world, there's obviously people that are focused a lot on the negativity, uh, including our media outlets a lot of the time. Mm. And we're wired as human beings to focus on the negative more so than the positive. So if we can be a part of everyone's day with a positive message or or just a positive experience whether that's on socials or something we've seen that we love that's what we're trying to uh, drive and instill and and hopefully we play a small part in making the world a more positive place
0: love it we'll uh, we'll put the link up of course too this is another off-topic question but i'm interested did you ever get close to leaving richmond and who which club if any did W- yes. Put in a really Heavy good hitting questions. Richmond. Did I get so
1: <laughs> did I get to a business too early?
0: Uh, I was a, just I was just interested. To, just before we walk away too much from footy, I just wanted to know. Was you know? Did you ever have a really interesting offer and uh, and or even you can maybe even speak from your own experience when you're recruiting players in yeah. to the club? How do you go about you know getting them across the line?
2: Yeah. So early days, there was an opportunity to go to the Hawks. Okay. Um, I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but I think. And again, if I go, maybe someone leaves and they don't necessarily have the success that they had along the way, but it definitely would have meant that I won a premiership <laughs> earlier in my career, Yeah, but I wouldn't change that for any way because it made me appreciate it a whole lot more by doing all the hard yards and then managing to be successful from a premiership point of view. And I think there was another conversation when the Gold Coast came into the competition as well, so... I don't think I was ever. Was that last year? Or yeah. Was last say, year. Is that, is that yeah, conversation yeah. still happening? You know, for a coaching nah, role or something. I've been a little bit disappointed with the fact that I haven't had a text message from Dimmer. Really? He obviously doesn't rate me or value anything that I offer. So thanks for nothing, Dimmer. Wouldn't mind a little tan up there on the yeah. Goldie, but um, yeah, that was in the very early stages, and then obviously Gaz took all the money, so no one was able to go up there anyway. So, but yeah, look, I th- I don't think I was ever. I- I'm. Quite a loyal person. Mm. Oh, I loved that Richmond gave me my first opportunity. I knew that we were building something special. It took a lot longer than I thought it probably would, but um, I wouldn't change it any other way. Did you play in the 08 dream, the 150 year for... Against Carlton? Yeah. Yes. What was that like? Well, I wore a Hawthorne jumper pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> we had a centenary jumper that was stripes downwards, yeah. which is the only time I've ever worn something other than the sash, which is bizarre because um, something that we instilled with uh, New Year's captain was that our jumper is something that never changes, unlike some other clubs. Other And, and then obviously we brought in the yellow jumper. so. <laughs> <laughs> but again, the colours didn't change. The sash was the same and that was something we were really proud of and, and wanted to own. Yeah, that, that was an experience. And, you know, obviously the rivalry with Carlton, particularly back then, it was a huge game or a I think I started pretty well but didn't manage to finish off the game. And I can't even remember whether we won or lost, to be honest. But again, like to know and understand, those were the opportunities where I learnt more about the history of the footy club and probably something that I've always loved footy but never been passionate observer of the game or got really deep in the history of the game and so forth. So those were the moments where I started to learn and understand more about who Richmond was the building blocks of the footy club the challenges that they'd been through the save our skins campaign and mm. some of the the blue collar and hardship that the Richmond footy club had already gone on plenty of times before uh, I even arrived at the footy club and uh, I suppose that's what that's what makes it such a proud and rich footy club
0: mm. I know we've got uh, fan questions. We've got to talk about your book as well. But before we do, because I know people will be disappointed if we don't ask this question, but of course we've got to talk about Dusty for a second. Talk to us about your relationship with him because from the outside looking in, it seems like you've had such a big impact on him, not just on the field but off the field too. Yeah, I think it it goes both ways.
2: Like Dusty, as much as... Both Brooke and I definitely took him under our wings and you know welcomed him into our house when probably he was in his lowest point. And, and I'll touch on some of that stuff in in my book that I've, I've written with Glenn McFarlane. But he's just a wonderful person. like He came in as a very immature kid that was super talented. I think he thought that he was a little bit of a rock star coming in and, and wanted to live that lifestyle. And then his progression and journey as a human and also footballer uh, as he's gone through his career has been – so admirable like and he's taught me so many lessons about you know the way we live our life I think when he first got there I definitely judged him and one of my favorite things now is that you should never judge a book by its cover because what's on the inside is very different to what Mm. can sometimes be on the outside and those deeper layers of Dusty are really special and I hope one day that he, he writes his own book or does a documentary or tells his story at a really deep level because it's it's far different to what I think the majority of people would really understand or know. And, you know, he's probably still working that out himself. Uh, And and that's been what's really special about the relationship we share. Like there was was moments where when he was living with us, we went for a walk during the night just because he'd had a nightmare. And to know that he's someone who's comfortable to come into both Brooke and my room and tap me on the shoulder (laughs) and scare the absolute (laughs) shit out of me (laughs) and go for a walk in the the middle of the night at 1am but to feel comfortable like that's where relationships are built and you know there's been many times where we've called on each other uh, in different situations whether it's football related non-football related family related you know I've often said that he'd be one of the people that I trust most with my kids just because of the love and care that he shows not just to them but to to anyone that he loves and cares about so yeah he's a special person he's a great mate and you know it's sad that I'll never get to play another game of footy with him maybe in the country somewhere down the track but um (laughs) gee imagine that (laughs) Well, we. I don't think they'll be coming to watch me they'll be coming to watch Dusty but uh (laughs) Yeah, he, he's had an amazing journey. Like, his football record speaks for itself, but the impact that he's had on our football club, the people, he's one of the most generous people that I've ever met and come across along with Bashir Hooley, and they're the kind of characters that you want to be, you know, spending the most time with because they, they make you better people rather than worse.
1: Now, I uh, know oh we are got to get well, – maybe we can skip the fan questions. I want to keep talking to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I the same. We don't have very long. But Dimar, you've been coached for him, by him for a long time. I would love to know if you ever got a a pretty solid spray from the man. Mm. But also, how do you think he's going to go in this new chapter?
2: I think he's, yeah, it's a weird one because I know that the narrative that played out after him deciding that it was the right time for him to leave the Richmond Footy Club was that he was burnt out. And I don't know whether he actually said that or whether it was just the narrative that was painted, but... I know that he went away and had a really good break. I know he's really enjoyed rebuilding a team kind of from scratch. I know there were some great people already at the Gold Coast Suns, but I think he's really enjoyed that that different element of building something. Uh, you know, he's, he's probably just added for the last kind of 10 years of his career each year. So that's reinvigorated him. I know he's got lots of energy. Obviously, he's spoken openly about that. He, he thinks that the, the list is really talented and they've got – you know, some success ahead of them. What that looks like, I'm not sure. I wish him all the best. Uh, um, as I said, I'm a bit disappointed I didn't get really call up. Uh, but yeah, it's good enough. to see the, still the likes of <laughs> Sean Grigg and Alex yeah. Rance realigning with him and, you know, they're brilliant people themselves and and obviously will offer a lot to the, the boys up there. And I still speak to Brandon Ellis a lot as well. So he's very excited about the guys that he's been with for the last few years, getting to experience uh, such a brilliant coach and a great mind. So I, I do wish him all the best. I obviously don't want to see them do better than <laughs> Richmond, but, you know, I, I think you want the best for people that have had a huge impact in your, in your life.
0: First thing that comes to your mind, so just one answer, across your whole career, best on ground, Mad Monday. <sighs> one name.
2: <Yeah. laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't want to throw anyone. <laughs> no. You can well, throw a few, why not? D- Dusty, whether it's Mad Monday or cricket in the hall, Okay. His, his energy is unbelievable. He he was in fine form this Mad Monday. Nothing out of control, but just he's the life of the party and drags people along with him. Like Even to the point where he sprinted, we were at a winery and sprinted that far into the vineyard. <laughs> I was like, there's a chance that he doesn't make it back. But he was having a race with other young boys, but they're the kind of personalities you want yeah. on those days because it creates a great environment. Liam Baker is always an absolute mess.
0: Yeah, he, he does uh, well, yeah.
2: But but also again brings a lot of energy and and Jaden Short's just a character and that's either Mad Monday or outside of Mad Monday the best costume i ever saw was David Asprey he shaved <laughs> straight down the middle of his head left a bit of fluff dyed white and he he reenacted the the John Howard bowling <laughs> when he was in India. <laughs> oh, my God. So there was a huge commitment <laughs> to the cause uh, oh. and, he, and he looked the part. And, and one of the others was uh, Rancy when Lynchie, when we went after Lynchy and got Lynchy to the footy club, made the comment that he he's not sure about the decision to get Tom Lynch, one of the greatest players in, in the competition, because it might upset the apple cart. <laughs> so he <laughs> dressed up and towed an apple cart around for the day. <laughs> That's so. hilarious. That's cool. Yeah, there was some commitment to it and, yeah, very good.
1: Are you gonna? Who are you going Like, are you gonna miss it? Like, have you have you sensed that yet? Like, because it, it's obviously going to become more real as the months come on.
2: Yeah, look, oh, I'll miss I'll miss the day to day because football clubs are very much like being in the schoolyard again, and sometimes it's good to grow up. But uh, just the larrikins you have within the organization, the fun you have every single day and you get to do hard work and, you know, finding time to actually exercise outside of it being your job is, is two different things. And that's what I'm learning now in the early stages of retirement. You have to build it into your day and, and that's typically early in the morning, but I don't mind that. (laughs) And then I'll just, I'll absolutely miss the competitiveness of game day and everything that goes with that, you know, fighting tooth and nail to the end siren, those you know, a few minutes post-match before you move on to the next week and start focusing all your energy and time (laughs) onto that and licking your wounds about how sore you are. But uh, I won't miss that part of it is just waking up the next morning and then two days after when you have Doms and feeling like I won't be able to get out of bed nor play this week. But yeah, definitely the competitive nature of playing. Sure.
0: Now, Christmas is, of course, coming up and Koch is about to release or by the time we put out this episode, the book will be out. So talk to us, give us a little bit of a tease of what we can expect where to buy it? What it's called? Yeah, why we should buy it? Give us a couple. <laughs> yeah, well, well, of well, Yeah, let's well, hear the
2: business it's, sales it's, pitch. <laughs> it's, it's been a process. So I, I started the the journey I think in twenty eighteen, so it's been wow. five five years coming. Probably not so good because obviously uh, the publisher Harper Collins thought that I was going to retire in twenty eighteen, so writing <laughs> was on the wall for <laughs> yeah, me. But um, <laughs> I've really enjoyed the experience, and, and what it's done is forced me to reflect and think about you know key moments in my journey that have either uh, made me who I am today or or challenged me to think differently in in way in a way. And I'm not one of those people that loves to, to talk about myself or pump myself up. So an autobiography as such wasn't necessarily the, the pathway that I wanted to take. And what I was hoping to do and what I hope people take away from it is that through my journey and my story that there's some key takeaways from a leadership point of view, from a life point of view that they can take with them and, and hopefully instill one or two things in their life that allows them to live a better life uh, for themselves. That's effectively the goal of it. There's some, some stories that I've, you know, touched on uh, in this (laughs) podcast, but also go a little bit deeper with and uh, whether that be moments in time with past players, current players, I've been very respectful of the the people that have been a a big part of my journey, but also I tell a little bit more about,
0: you know, what's made me who I am today. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to read that, honestly. I'm and it's a great stocking filler for the, uh, for the <laughs> Richmond faithful. The, <laughs> the title says it
2: all. It's called From the Heart, From and
1: uh, it very much I is. I think it's more than a stocking filler. I think it deserves to be wrapped. Oh, and, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I'm
2: sure that a lot of the bookstores are offering free wrapping, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know that for sure. But. Yeah.
1: Koch, what is your footy knowledge like? Yeah. Putrid. In terms are, you, of
0: are you enough? No. Nah. You, oh, you're not. Oh, you're not. What about growing up? Did you love your footy? Oh, I loved footy. We're going I, somewhere I'll with this. Yeah, <laughs> I <I'm sure. laughs> sense that, and I'm now starting to poo my pants.
2: But um, we, we should have prepared. <laughs> yeah, I, I
0: realised. Should we start recording? We're like, we didn't tell him about this
2: part. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to roll with it. Uh, yeah, obviously, I'm a, I was in the media for true. four weeks.
0: Well, we've got a little exclusive. So the podcast, the audio sides, we're about to stop. But for those watching on YouTube, if you're listening, head over to YouTube because you can watch the next part. We're going to go DOS VD versus Koch in a bit of a footy quiz that Bailey's got there prepared. So um, for those listening to the audio, though, just want to honestly thank you so much it meant so much for you to spend some time with us today we look up to you it's clear for anybody listening who you are as a person it's great that we didn't just talk footy it's great to hear more about you as a person so thank you so much Trent really appreciate it and can't wait to see what unfolds for you over the next few years thanks guys well done to your journey and the way
2: that you're sharing everyone's story and and the lessons from
0: them
1: thank you thanks mate let's uh let's bring on the quiz here we go (laughs) D wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much
0: out of it. I'm sure you did too. And of course, thank you to everyone who listened.
1: Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
0: For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out.
1: Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, did
0: It's at Doss and D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D
1: underscore. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode.